So the beauty of this data is you get this large overall survey of what's happening in that region. And it happens many times per day. And you can look at the RF activity and you can say, hey, there's something interesting happening here, or maybe we should focus attention there. And you can pinpoint where to then use the other assets at your disposal. So the radio waves are the starting point. It's kind of like an RF first approach to analysis. You look for the activity that you find on the ground and flag the things that are of interest. We're standing by. Enter interface minus five minutes. Hey everybody, welcome back to the New Space Podcast. I'm your host, John Severance. Today we're talking to Adam Bennett. Adam's the Vice President of Marketing for Hawkeye 360. And they're solving a problem that we've been talking about on the podcast. Here's the deal. So when you're looking at Earth from space, it can seem like one step forward and two steps back. You gain all this new data, but now there's so much stuff to look at. It's like you're searching for a needle in a haystack and you just decided to order more hay. Hawkeye 360 manages a constellation of RF sensing satellites. Yep, that's more data, but there's actually a difference here. That's because RF is more like a data scout. It tells you where to look, what to act on. You see, RF data is an early indicator of human activity. In many cases, it's the first indicator. In the modern world where there's people, there's communication signals. And when you know how to track those signals and identify patterns, you can see through the noise and see what's going on much earlier. So in a world of increasing activity and data about that activity, being quicker to the right insights is a major advantage. Here's the interview with Adam. So first of all, Adam, just wanted to welcome you to the New Space Podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's glad to join this new effort here and provide information about all the innovation occurring in the space industry. Cool. Okay. So I want to talk about the Earth observation industry. There's a lot of excitement about what's going on in space right now. And a lot of people see low Earth orbit satellites. They, they understand that's bringing connectivity to the world. And then they see billionaires launching into space and they think of space travel and space exploration, stuff that NASA is doing. And a lot of people will say, gosh, there's so many problems down on Earth. Why are we putting all this money up into space? And the cool thing about Earth observation, it's a part of the space industry that actually is directly looking down at Earth and finding solutions to Earth's current problems. So I wonder if you could just talk about Earth observation first, what's going on there and what's cool about it. Yeah, so Earth observation was actually one of the earliest motives behind why we developed space and the opportunity in space. In fact, some of the first satellites ever launched were trying to collect data about the Earth, trying to capture images of the Earth's surface. This is all the way back in the 60s. And we just got better and better at it. In fact, for a long time, it was primarily the large governments of the world that were using satellites to take imagery of the Earth's surface. And then eventually organizations within those governments, such as NASA and NOAA and others who were using satellites to collect data about weather and the use of agriculture and the use of land. And then from there, it led to commercial companies who realized that they could also make use of this technology and capture all kinds of data about activity on the Earth's surface that was not readily available before. So we've really seen this explosion in particular over the last two decades or about maybe 25 years. We've seen an explosion in commercial constellations. Some of them take visual 
photos, essentially just like the same, same quality as taking a picture or a photograph and others looking at other types of interesting details of the earth, maybe using synthetic aperture radar, which is actually bouncing a radar signature off the earth's surface in order to see three-dimensional objects better or using unique variations of electromagnetic spectrum, not your standard RGB, red, green, blue, but maybe they're looking at ultraviolet because sometimes these other spectrum can tell you more about, let's say, plant life or the oceans. In the case of Hawkeye 360, then, we launched satellites relatively recently, just over the last few years, the first company to put satellites into orbit to focus on radio waves and look for all the radio wave activity that might be occurring around the globe because radio waves are so closely associated with human activity. Um, so it provides yet another perspective about the world that then is useful information that people can use to make decisions about the world and better optimize resources, track the environment, prevent bad things from happening. So this data is all highly relevant to our everyday life. So can we talk about RF data? Because that's what Hawkeye 360 is looking at. That's something that hasn't really, from a commercial perspective at least, ever been really studied from space. So what is RF data? What can it tell the world when you're looking down and tracking all these different signals? So since RF data, it's not like nature, it's a, a plant is giving off many radio waves, right? It's not like the plants are communicating over satellite phones or something like that. But people do. People use radio technology, handheld radios. They use satellite phones. They, they rely on radio technology to do location, GPS. They use radio technology to detect weather patterns, looking up at the sky or detect airplanes flying through the air. Or in maritime environments, they're using radars, marine radars, to help avoid collisions with vessels or other objects in the water. Uh, so, so all this ra radio energy is coming off the Earth's surface. And because of that, because it's really uniquely tied to human civilization, by detecting this data and examining this data, we have a much better understanding or often what's sometimes termed better domain awareness of what might be occurring on the ground, in the ocean, in the air. And that information becomes very useful for all kinds of applications. One example would be illegal fishing. So many vessels that fully operate according to proper international laws and regulation, they are out there fishing in the places they're supposed to be fishing, and they abide by the rules of their nations and the international treaties. But if a fishing vessel or fishing fleet wants to kind of skirt the law, or because maybe they want to avoid limitations on fishing requirements or avoid payments to the governments that they're fishing within the waters, all they have to do is essentially kind of deactivate their beacon and they disappear. They hide. People don't know where they are. But those same vessels are still using other forms of radio technology. And our ability to detect that, to see that, we can pinpoint say, hey, there's a vessel there. Maybe that vessel should not be there. Maybe it's illegally in a location it should not be. Maybe it's doing something that's not proper. It could be illegal fishing. It could be smuggling activities. Um, there's a host of th 
threats on open seas that people want to be aware of and know what's going on. So there's a major safety component to having visibility of what's happening on the, the waters. So this data comes in very handy for that whole group of applications for one, let alone applications over land as well. So I know you guys have been looking at some RF data in Galapagos Islands and also in the Senkaku Islands. Is there anything you can share on what the data, the RF data that Hawkeye 360 has been collecting has been able to illuminate about events in these areas? So a lot of times when we're gathering data, one of the benefits of having satellites is as you pass over, you're able to see information over a large region of the world at once. In our case, we can collect the data over thousands of, of kilometers wide, a swath. Uh, so that allows us to see an entire ocean at once. And we can look at all the vessels there on the water, and we can quickly start to identify if there's any strange behaviors, warning signs, flags of things that maybe people need to be aware of. So we've often seen cases of concern and sometimes very strategic areas of the globe. It could be an area of the globe that is environmentally threatened, something like the Galapagos, which has a lot of pristine animal and marine life. And we want to preserve that environment. And you know, there's a lot of concern sometimes on vessels trying to sneak into some of the waters surrounding the Galapagos and take some of the fish in the waters and take some of the marine life. And that can be devastating. Likewise, we've seen cases in geopolitical areas, areas of the world where there's maybe conflicts over ownership. And once again, you can see activity, fishing activity, parties maybe encroaching, such as in the Senkaku Islands, which is a disputed territory both at least Japan and, and China are actively claiming, as well as even some additional countries, they want control of that area in that region because they want control of the rights, you know, whether it be mineral rights or the fishing rights, or even just control of people passing along through that area, monitoring and keeping track and guiding who's allowed to pass. So these are all concerns that often when we look at our data sets, we start to see patterns of activity, the warnings, the flags, the vessels that are maybe misbehaving, and we can pinpoint that in the data sets. So what's the difference between, let's say, taking a lot of high-resolution photos of an area, let's say the Senkaku Islands, versus looking at RF signals in that same area? So... The great thing about this world of Earth observation is we have a lot of great assets on orbit, different satellites look at different types of data, and often it's very collaborative because maybe you want to pair multiple data sets to gain a full understanding of the world. So each, each type of data set has benefits and limitations. In the case of Earth observation that's visual, like data collection, taking images of the Earth's surface. The problem with that is usually a limitation of how much you can capture at once. There's always a size constraint on how large an area you can take an image of as you're passing over uh, and still have good resolution to make out what's happening. Because of that, it's more akin to looking through a soda straw and you can get very good imagery, but of smaller areas of the globe. And 
it's harder to get that very rapid repeat visits because you can only take one image of one specific site ever so often. And obviously you're going to focus on the things that you know about, that you care about most, and you may not be watching the rest of the region as well. But when you have uh, radio waves, when you're looking at the radio wave data that we're able to collect, as I mentioned, the uniqueness about our satellites is we're gathering over thousands of, of kilometer swaths as we pass over a region. We can see like the entire East China Sea at once, all the radio wave activity. So the the, the beauty of this data is you get this, this large overall, overall survey of what's happening in that region. And it happens many times per day. In fact, often we can collect a dozen times a day or more over a region. So every couple hours, you're getting another data set of what's happening there. And then you can look at the data points. You can look at the RF activity and you can say, hey, there's something interesting happening here, or maybe we should focus it attention there, and you can pinpoint where to then use the other assets at your disposal. So now maybe you do arrange an image, a physical image of the site, or if it's cloudy, bad weather, which can prevent getting good images, which actually happens quite often. Instead of an image, you're able to maybe do a, a SAR, a synthetic aperture radar image, so at least you can get a 3D rendering of that area you're interested in. So the radio waves are the starting point. It's kind of like an RF first approach to analysis. You look for the activity that you find on the ground and you flag the things that are of interest. And then you're able to bring other assets to bear, whether it be imagery, SAR, or even send, in the case of Marine, maybe send out a Coast Guard vessel or a UAV. Uh, you can actually send physical objects then to those locations and determine the reality on the ground, what's occurring. So I'm curious how your customers are using the data. I imagine there's some customers that are getting a raw data feed. There's other customers that are looking into an area to almost like retroactively see if there's been an event. Who's using your data in general and what are the different ways that they interact with it? Yeah, the beauty now that we've had satellites in orbit for multiple years is we've collected a great archive of prior information. And the more data you have, the more density of the data, the better you can look back in time and start to see what are the standard patterns? How does life occur on Earth? And you can start to notice when there's changes, right? So certainly a lot of our customers are various groups within governments, right, that care about monitoring their environment, their areas, the seas that surround the countries. And they can look at archival data sets to see what may have happened in the past. And then also, probably most importantly, they're able to look at near real-time collections. As soon as we get the data collected, when we can get that down to the ground and process, we can deliver that to the customer. And so they can get a pretty good sense of what's occurring that day of in the various areas that they care about. So yeah, you have all variety of users and applications of the data. You have a range of user types. Some people can be very sophisticated analysts that want to dig into the nitty gritty of the data. But then others, what's also nice about what we're doing with this data is we try to remove the complexity from it as much as possible. Given it is a new data set, people are still learning about it. We try to make it as simple as a dot on the map, something that a lot of people can upload into common mapping tools. 
So you don't necessarily have to be an RF expert or an intelligence expert. You just need to know basics about how to look at maps and understand the data plotted and draw some associations, maybe comparing our data with other things that you have access to. So we're really bringing down the barriers that traditionally have made it difficult for people to have access and use this type of information. Are you getting to the point where the data sees an activity and it's a leading indicator, it's not something that someone's looking for, but you recognize a pattern and then that gets reported to the people that are tracking that type of activity? Yeah, a big part of our data set is the the opportunity to provide an early warning of what might be happening in the world. So let's switch. Uh, We've been talking about maritime, but let's talk about land-based example, right? Several years ago, India and China, there was some tensions heating up along some of their border regions between the country. And as we were gathering data and looking for the geolocations of activity, Uh, in some of these extremely remote regions that hardly any cities or settlements are located, you'll see that stand out pretty clearly that there's some radioactivity over here in these mountainous areas. And that obviously is something that you want to take a look at because it's, well, what's going on there? When there's nothing else around, why all of a sudden do we see the use of radios and communication devices? So because we pass over, we, we detect the activity and then we geolocate. We say, okay, there's something happening here on the ground. And then that gets mapped and then our customers can look at it and then they can say, okay, well, I want to take a closer look at that area. And in this case, actually, we were detecting a buildup of Chinese forces in a valley. And then just days later, as it turned out, Further down that valley, there was a conflict between Indian forces and Chinese forces that actually fought, and it led to deaths on both sides of the equation. So the question is, if people had access to the data earlier and kind of had an early sense of, okay, I know this is what's happening in my backyard. I know where things are occurring. I'm not going to be surprised by anything unexpected. What value is that early ability to understand what's going on in the world? And how does that equip you to maybe make the best choices and not only choices for fighting or for conflict, but choices for diplomacy, right? The value of knowledge is that it gives you better ability to prepare and think through and plan for what is the best course. And our new RF, commercial RF data sets that we offer to people, it's just another dimension of knowledge that's equipping our customers to make the best decisions they can when facing sometimes extremely challenging decisions and choices. Sweet. So I want to go back to the question I asked a bit earlier, who exactly is using Hawkeye 360 data? So many of our customers around the world are governmental agencies and groups that have concerns about keeping track of, say, the maritime environment. They want to know what activity might be occurring in their coastal waters. They may be concerned about borders and smuggling activity. Many places in the world may have neighbors that they want to make sure that there's no surprises. So we find a very diverse group of users throughout governments and not only military or security or intelligence, but even civil agencies. Because like I said, our data is very broad based. It can cover many different applications 
In the case of marine life, there may be civil agencies that are tasked with monitoring and protecting the marine environments. So our data can be very useful for that purpose. Or maybe within a government that's trying to keep track of cases of interference and misuse of the radio waves within the country. It's very difficult to know how your spectrum is being used. It's a critical asset and resource that countries monitor and maintain and allocate. So they need an effective method to see how that's being used. And are there cases of interference? Are people broadcasting illegally, for instance, and overriding other, other people's radio channels? So these are all things of concern that our data can cover. So it really is a broad range of government applications, use cases. Now, beyond governments, we look at commercial opportunities, things where it could be nonprofits. A lot of our data, like I said, is relevant to potentially keeping track of the use of the world's resources, environmental impacts, human activities, strip mining in isolated regions of the world, or maybe in the Amazon where you want to find out what's going on. So nonprofits can be concerned about that, or you can have shipping companies, insurance companies that need to know how the assets are being deployed, protected, utilized. Our data, once again, can provide better visibility to them about what's occurring in the activity in the world. So these are all examples where our data has a lot of use and value to people. Awesome. Cool. So what about your constellation? So uh, you guys have some pretty cool low earth orbit satellites that you've put up in the sky and you're looking to launch your sixth cluster at the end of this year. So can you talk about the constellation technology that makes all this possible? Yeah, so we are taking advantage of small satellite technology. It's, once again, a more recent occurrence where the scope and size of satellites have gotten smaller and smaller, but yet you can still take advantage of those small packages to do something useful. So our satellites are each about a microwave in size, and they fly in clusters of three. We use three satellites because the three satellites each independently collect the data as they fly over. And because we're using three, it's called trilateration to do the geolocation. But maybe to some people's minds, triangulation may be a little bit better term they might think of. But essentially, we're able to locate using the three satellites as we pass over, we look for the radio waves, and then we can cross-reference between what the data we collect on the three satellites to determine the geolocation of that radio energy that we see. As we add more and more satellites into orbit, it's giving us better capacity to serve the needs of all these customers. It's also allowing us to pass over the same areas of the world more frequently. So each time we put up satellites, now we can fly over more often. So now instead of getting data collected maybe every couple hours, we can maybe collect data every hour or every half hour. So that's ultimately the goal we're doing. We're trying to build out this constellation so we can collect more types of data as well as more frequently the types of data to serve the needs of the customers. So if you look out three to five years into the future, what do you see on the horizon for Hawkeye 360? So Hawkeye 360 has a very bright future. We're still very early on in the growth phase of the company. We're still very early on in the technology phase of the company. We're learning as we go. The great news with doing the satellite launches, say every couple of months, 
is we're able to incrementally improve. Each time we put up satellites, we usually do some type of enhancement and we get better and better at the data we collect. We also get better and better at the analysis on the ground, how we process the data, how we produce information that's useful, how do we deliver it? So the company is rapidly improving day by day the capabilities and what we can offer. Our goal is to get within a couple of years, you'll likely see instead of the five clusters we have in orbit, we're going to try to get up to 20 clusters in orbit. So it's a very significant growth in terms of the constellation in orbit. And then likewise, on the ground, as we build out the processing and as we add additional skill sets and capabilities, we're just increasing the amount of applications we can serve. So instead of like just dumping a bunch of data on a customer, our goal is really to deliver exactly what that customer needs when they need it so that they can make the best decisions quickly and rapidly. And day by day, our R&D efforts and our analysis efforts, we're getting better at identifying in our data sets what's really important. What does the customer need to care about? What do we flag? What do we highlight? What do we show them is really what's key to them. So I know you've been growing. I know you're actually hiring. So I thought I'd ask a question of what is it like to work at Hawkeye 360? I imagine it's a pretty cool company. It's a very innovative company. We've gone through already a rapid growth phase. Just even a couple of years ago, we were like 50 people and we grew rapidly through the pandemic. We're now up to like 150 staff and we're continuing to grow because there's high demand for our data and we need good, talented people that are knowledgeable that we can bring on staff to really excel at their gifts to apply them to these use cases around the world. So we have a lot of great younger staff that are getting engaged. They're applying their talents. I think a lot of our staff find work to be exciting and thrilling as they tackle all kinds of unique situations around the world. And we learn about what's happening globally. And then also the, the mission focus of the company. We've really existed to serve others. The data we provide, we did because we wanted to serve others. We wanted to equip, equip governments to do a better job and to serve their people better. So I think there's a strong mission focus within the company and people are excited about what's happening here. That's awesome. All right, Adam, thanks a lot for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you. Yes, thanks, John. It's been great. Okay, that was a really great interview with Adam. If you want to listen to previous episodes, you can visit our website at explorenewspace.com. On our next episode, we're going to be talking to Chris Robson, who's the co-founder and CEO of Wyburn. So stay tuned. Thank you. Thank you.